You're listening to Jesus Culture Sacramento's Message of the Week. If you want more information on the church or ministry, head to JesusCulture.com. And make sure you check out our conferences coming up this year in El Dorado Hills, California, Sacramento, California, and Chicago, Illinois. You can get more information at JesusCulture.com slash conference. Now enjoy this teaching. I want to let you know on Friday, we officially launched a website for something we've been working on for a long time uh, called the School of Leadership. So Jesus Culture School of Leadership is officially launching. This is something that's been years in the making, actually, for this church and for what we're doing, just a mandate to raise up, to develop, raise up, send leaders. So we officially are launching in September uh, something called the School of Leadership. And uh, we're going to, it'll be for people that are local as well as we're going to invite people from all over the nation to come and spend eight months with us. Uh, we have a passion. I'm going to talk a little bit about this this morning because as a church, this is a mandate that's on our church. You may be new here or you may have been here for a while but not fully aware of this. I'm going to kind of go over some of the stuff uh, when it comes to our call to raise up leaders. But in, in the process of this, we just realized we've got we've to invite people to this community, and we've got to invest in them as leaders. And so we're going to do that in September. It will start. It's an eight-month school. It's in the mornings from 9 to 1230, and uh, it will be here in Folsom. And we just have a passion. Our kind of three focuses are we have a passion to raise up spiritually mature, relationally healthy, effective leaders. Uh, that God wants to raise up leaders in, in those categories. We're going to go after that. So myself, Danny Silk, uh, Kate Bagley, different ones are going to be overseeing this and going for it. But uh, I, I mentioned that because I, I realized that sometimes as we launch this stuff, it's a good time to stop and just say this, that the mandate on this church and the mandate on this community and therefore the mandate on your life is to both embrace leadership and raise up and develop leaders. This is what we're called to. And uh, this has always been our heart. Many of you would know our story over the years of just, my heart, my passion is to see cities and nations impacted. I want to see the harvest come in. I want to see transformation. I want to see revival. This is what we've been going after since I was 19 years old, that I want to see cities and nations transformed by the gospel. I want to see the great harvest come in. And in our pursuit of that, in my passion and pursuit of revival, what we came face to face with was this. If we're going to see cities impacted, if we're going to see the harvest come in, if we're going to see nations transformed, then it means we have to raise up leaders. That we can't just preach this stuff. We've got to raise up leaders who step out. And that God's, that, and I'm going to talk about this a little bit, but, but God's solution for the cry that's on his heart is people raised up. This is the story of when the Lord spoke to us early on about Nineveh. Like God's heart was for Nineveh. God's heart longed for the city of Nineveh. This was a messed up place. In fact, the story of Jonah isn't even as much about Jonah as it is about Nineveh. It's called, the book's called Jonah, but, but it's about Nineveh. Because God looked at this city that was steeped in sin, steeped in sexual immorality, idolatry, violence, debauchery. I mean, just the city was bad. And God looked at that city and God longed to come to that city. God longed to see that city be healed and for people to know him. And so his, his solution to that, the answer to the cry that was in God's heart was Jonah. 
He raises up and anoints a man named Jonah and sends Jonah into Nineveh to become the very answer to the cry that's on God's heart. Jonah ran, but let me just tell you, the moral of that story is, is God is more stubborn than you are. This is what you have to know right off the bat. You may be stubborn. He's more stubborn. And so Jonah tried to resist the call of God in his life, and he ran because he didn't want to do it. And God just, you know, he's just, he just patiently is like, well, that's fine. And, uh, but this is the whole thing is that Jonah is actually the response to the cry that's in God's heart for Nineveh. And so as we got deeper into this thing of like, God, we want to see a generation awakened. We want to see cities and nations impacted, transformed, the harvest come in, revival. We want to see all that. It became clear then that we've got to be about raising up leaders. And so one of the things that began to be the kind of the phrase for us was this, was that I want to raise up leaders and flood the earth with them. I want to raise up leaders and flood the earth with them and just see all over the nations leaders that are carrying the heart of God and becoming the solution and the answer to the cry of God's heart. And when we moved to Sacramento, a lot of people were asking us, because you know we had the conferences and the music and all this stuff that we were doing, and they say, well, what's the church, you know, what are you gonna, what's the church gonna be like? I'm like, our mandate's the same. Like, our mandate didn't change. It just went from, I wanna raise up leaders and flood the earth with them, to I wanna raise up leaders and flood Sacramento with them. Like, that's what, like, this is what began to happen is saying, we want, we want to see a community of people that take ownership around this thing and go impact the entire region of Sacramento. This is what we're about. It's never really changed for us. But ultimately, there's also, there's a local call on us and there's a national call on this body. And this is what we're going after. Let me read this to you because I'm going to, I want to jump in because I need you to understand this. If this is your family, if you're visiting today, we're so glad you're here. Welcome. If, if this is your family, there's a mandate on your life because there's a mandate on this community and there's a mandate on this family. And we are called to impact the nations of the earth. We are called to see transformation in our city and in this nation. We're called to see revival and a great harvest come in. And therefore, the mandate on this church is to see leaders raised up both locally and nationally. Let me read this to you. I'm going to read kind of the, one of the passages. And I want to take a few minutes this morning. And for some of you, this is going to be review. For some of you, it'll be, I'm going to recap some stuff. For some of you, you're going to have heard some of the stories or analogies. But I really felt it was just an important timing that we would come and just say, this school that we're doing in September isn't just like a cute little fun idea. This is the mandate that's on this house both locally and internationally, this is the mandate that's on us. And here's why. So let me read this story to you. Second Kings chapter two, I'll set it up. This is a story about Elisha. Uh, Elisha was the successor of Elijah. Elijah is the man in Israel. He's the prophet to many kings. I mean, still this day, they talk about the, the heart of uh, the spirit of Elijah that came on John the Baptist and turning the hearts of the father and the sons. I mean, Elijah is a big deal. And Elijah was, uh, was constantly in conflict with Jezebel and bringing righteousness to the nation. But Elijah, when he ascended to heaven, he had a successor. He anoints Jehu as king, but then he has a prophetic successor. Successor, I'm going to have to say that by second service when we stream, um, <laughs> named Elisha, which if you grew up in church was always confusing. It was always like, I don't, who's Elijah, who's Elisha? But Elisha is the second guy. And Elisha gets the mantle from Elijah. So Elijah says, if you can see me when I go, you can have it. You can have a double portion. 
He gets a double portion. He gets the mantle. The first thing he does is he uses the mantle and the, Jordan, the waters of the Jordan cross, and then he crosses the Jordan, and he heads into a city named Jericho. And the first miracle outside of the Jordan being split, the first miracle he's about to perform is in the city of Jericho. And this is where we run into it, 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 19. Then the, men, then the men of the city said to Elisha, please notice the situation of this city is pleasant as my Lord sees, but the water is bad and the ground barren. And he said, bring me a new bowl and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then, they, then he went out to the source of water and cast in the salt there and said, thus says the Lord, I have healed this water from it. There should be no more death or barrenness. So the water remains healed to this day, according to the word of Elisha, which he spoke. Let me read this same passage to you out of the New Living Translation. One day, the leaders of the town of Jericho visited Elisha. We have a problem, my Lord. They told him this town is located in pleasant surroundings, as you can see, but the water is bad and the land is unproductive. Elisha said, bring me a new bowl with salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went out to the spring that supplied the town with water and threw the salt in it. And he said, this is what the Lord says. I have purified this water. It will no longer cause death or infertility. And the water has remained pure ever since, just as Elisha said. Matthew 5.13, which is something we're going to reference. Jesus is speaking to us. He says this. You are the salt of the earth. I, I believe with all my heart that, that God's passion and heart is for people. We know this. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. His heart is for people. And, uh, and his heart being for people, it's therefore for the land as well. The things that nourish people, the things that give life to people, the things that sustain people, where they live, God has a heart for that. So God has a heart for people, and he has a heart for the things that are feeding people, the things that are nourishing people. And whether it's giving them life or whether it's giving them death, whether it's uh, fertile or infertile, whether it's productive, whether it's barren or whatever it is, he has a heart for this stuff. So when Elisha comes into the city, the leaders come to him and says, Elisha, we have a great city. Like it's a good situation. It's a pleasant city. It's good surroundings. But we have a problem. And the problem is, is that the land is barren. The land is unproductive. The land is not fertile because the water's bad. The water's bad. The very thing that's meant to nourish the land, the very thing that's meant to bring life, the very thing that's meant to help people is, is bad. And so Elisha says, all right, well, bring me a new bowl, put salt in it. And he takes the salt to the source of the water. Where the water starts, he takes the, the, the salt and he throws salt into the source of the water and the water is healed. And when the water is healed, the land becomes healed and the land goes from cursed and barren to blessed and fruitful. The land goes from, from uh, being infertile to fertile, and, and, all the, and therefore the impact on people. This is about people. The water being cursed, the water being bad, was affecting people, and God has a heart for people. So early on, God spoke to us. He said, I'm, I'm sending not just believers. I, I, think there, I think there is a shift in uh, that when it comes to this. I don't want to get into the whole 
picture out of this, but, but that new bowl, that new way of thinking, that new structure, the new wineskin that God wants to bring, and he is, and he is gathering. And that bowl with salt, that gathering place for salt, the, Jesus said, we're the salt of the earth, that God is taking salt and he is putting it into sources of water. He's actually sending salt into the very things that water and nourish a land, that either bring life or death to people. He is sending salt into the water because if the water can be healed, the land will be healed. If the water can be healed, life will come instead of death. Does everybody track with me on this? Okay, so, so he began to speak to us that I'm not just sending believers in, I'm sending leaders I'm sending those that actually believe they can make a difference. I'm sending those that actually have taken responsibility for this. This is the mandate on your life. If you are salt, if you are a believer, God calls you salt. And if you are salt, then you are called to bring healing. You are called to actually go into the very sources of water that nourish a land that everywhere you go, healing should come. You're called to bring healing to the hearts of people. You're called to bring healing to systems and structures. You're called to bring healing to culture. You're called to bring healing to spheres of influence. There are spheres of influence, uh, government and education and family and all those lists of things that we talk about, arts, entertainment, that when those are bad, it, it, it causes the land to be cursed and barren. When those things are healed, it causes fruitfulness. And so this is what the Lord spoke to us. He says, you're not just to raise up a generation. You're to raise up leaders, people who, people who understand that I'm called to bring healing wherever I go. I'm called to be a part of the solution and that God's heart is for people. Therefore, we have to see healing brought to sources of water, the things that nourish and the things that water and the things that bring life. It's either bringing life or it's bringing death. This is what he began to challenge us on. And this is why we have such a passion to say this phrase. And I would say this to our church, is that everyone's called to be a leader. We, we, have, we have this thing where we disqualify ourselves when it comes to leadership because we somehow think that some people are called and others are not. Some of this is because of what's happened from the pulpit is that for years from the pulpit, what's been communicated and we use these phrases that like, um, oh, I remember when I was called, this is minister pastor language that I remember when I received my calling, I remember when I was called and there's some moment where God showed me that I was going to be in ministry. And I love that. I believe that the problem is, is that being called is not just connected to a pulpit or full-time paid ministry. And all of a sudden we begin to think like, okay, well, some are, some are called, others are not. Some are called to leadership, others are not. Or, or somehow we think that, that leadership is this massive, grandiose, like you're either really well known or you've made a massive impact. We used to, I, I remember we used to have something called at our conferences called the Culture Project. And my heart was, what we were doing, I realized that at our conferences, like we'll do a conference in Chicago and in Sacramento this year, that the people I'm speaking to, uh, that, that 100% of them are called to change the world, only 2% of them will do that from behind a pulpit, like I do. Only 2%. So 98% of the people I'm talking to 
100% are called to change the world. 98% of them won't do it the way that I'm doing it from behind a pulpit. And so I just began to think, I've got to get leaders up there that are the 98% that aren't changing the world from behind a pulpit so that they can see other people. So we started bringing in people, other leaders. And uh, this is where Kelly, Kelly's here today. Kelly used to come in with us. And, and, um, but I began to realize that we were bringing in these leaders who were like at the top of their game, well-known, doing like massive things. So it's like Olympic gold medalist, NBA basketball player, a guy who literally sold a company for $10 billion, uh, you know, a senator. I don't, we were just bringing in these people at like the very, very top of the game. And what I realized was I'm trying to put leaders in front of them, but then those leaders felt just as out of reach. Because you're like, well, I, I love that you brought an NBA player, but I probably am not going to be doing that, although I want to. Let's just. <laughs> and so I started bringing in, along with those, I started bringing in, I remember I brought in a, 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 a lady who's a, who actually was on the board at the church when we first started, named Julie Winter. She's, she's a nurse practitioner in Reading. Uh, since then, she's now run for city council Got, got, got elected to city council in Reading and is now the mayor in Reading, uh, along with being nurse practitioner. But she was a nurse practitioner. She had a heart for a city. She had a heart to make a difference in the medical field and to help people. And I remember bringing her, and she's phenomenal. I mean, she's amazing, but not well-known, no like amazing uh, video to show of her or stats about how much money she's made or all that type of stuff. And I remember she just got up and was sharing her heart for the city and her heart for women and heart for leadership. And at the end of this thing, and there was thousands of people at this conference, at the end of this thing, the line to talk to her was by far longer than even the line to talk to all the massive at the top of their game people. And I, be, I just began to realize that we, we've got to make sure we understand this, that everyone has a call to lead. Now, I, now I'm, gonna, I'm not saying right now that everybody is a leader because that requires something. I am saying this, everyone has a call to lead. Everyone is called to lead. And, and I'm going to unpack this a little bit because John Maxwell in Developing the Leader Within You says this, that leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. Leadership is influence, nothing more, nothing less. So the call to lead is connected to this reality. If you have influence, if you're influencing anybody around you, then you have a call to lead. Whether you take responsibility for that call or not, that's another ballgame, but you have a call to lead. The call to leadership is not for some select, unique group of people that have sold a company for $10 billion or, or won a gold medal or at the top of their game in this or really well-known or whatever else it is. The call to lead is for everybody. It's for everybody. And this is the thing that began to stir in my heart that we've got to raise up people who take responsibility for that call. What separates you is not your call, it's the response to the call. And this is, if you've been with us for a while, you would have heard these stories in this language, but there's a verse that Jesus, Jesus says a phrase twice, many are called, but few are chosen. And in my early 20s, I mean, I'm so passionate for God. I still am, but in my 20s, just, just full on. Just, I'm like, 
And so that verse used to kill me because it said many are called, but few are chosen. And it's probably the competitive. The competitive side of me are like, I do not want to be in the many category. I don't know what the lot of people are, but that's not me. I'm not in the lot of people. I'm in the few. I'm in that few. Like, but I, I wasn't sure if I was because it said many are called, but few are chosen. And I'm like, I don't know how to get in the few category, but how do I get in the few category? I want to be in the chosen category, not just that called category. And it, it would stress me out. And then... And then I remember the, uh, the context. There's more context than this, this. But it's in the setting of, that verse ends after a passage where Jesus tells a story about a king who puts on a wedding for his son. And, 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 and he invites people, and the first wave of people say no. They all have reasons why or excuses. The second wave don't, and finally the third do. And then that story ends with, many are called, but few are chosen. And they began to realize that being called is not the issue. Every single one of you in this room are called to change the world. Every single one of you in this room are called to make a difference for God and are called to be leaders. Every single one. What separates you, though, is not the call of God on your life. There's not a greater call on my life than on, you know, Yari's life. There's not a, there's not a, like somebody else's call isn't great. Like Billy Graham's call isn't greater than my call. My call is not greater than somebody else's call. We all have calls. What separates people is not the call, but the response to the call. What we would say is if you raise your hand or not, and this story that we tell a lot, and I don't want to get into it because I've told it, but, but you know, we, we moved about 11 months ago. And I hate moving. I hate move. I hate physically moving houses. I hate it. I'll get in a house. I'm like, I'm staying here for 40 years, or or until I have enough money to pay somebody else to do the entire process. Not just like helping me move boxes. I'm talking about the entire process, you know. But but I hate moving. And um, besides the purging element, I do love that. I love just getting rid of stuff we don't need. Uh, if we haven't, if we if we forgot we owned it. Or if we haven't used it in a year, it's gone. Um, but, but moving, but then the, what I say is I hate moving, but what I hate more is helping other people move. <laughs> I hate that even more. I remember when, when we, we've had like, how many times have you helped somebody move, Zach? 52 times since we've moved here, because so many people move it in. Zach's helped people 52 times. No, don't clap for that. No. I finally had to pull him aside and say, Zach, as your boss, stop helping people. You're making me look bad. I like this. I hate helping other people move. But, but the problem is, is we do kind of know, like, if you want to find out who your friends are, like, if you really want to find out who are the people that really love you, then, you know, move on a Saturday in August in Sacramento and... and and whoever comes, those are your real friends. Friends, everybody else is faking it. They're lying to you. But, but the analogy is, is if you can imagine, you know, me walking up to a group of guys and saying, hey, guys, I'm moving. Can anybody come help me on Saturday? And most of all, most everybody's like, oh, I think what's, what, I got to have a reason. There's something happening on Saturday. I know it. I know it. Like, they're like trying not to make eye contact. And then Zach raises his hand. Oh. Because he's arrogant. He's, he's... <laughs> Zach raises his hands. He thinks he's better than everybody else. 
And uh, Zach, you're not better than everybody else just because you helped 52 people move, okay? I need to get all this out of the way before 11 o'clock. Zach raises his hand. Zach raises his hand. Nobody else raises their hand, but Zach does. And then I say, okay, Zach, then, then I choose you. And the, so the way you get chosen, so how do you go from the called category to the chosen category? Is there a separation? Is, is God a respecter of persons? Is God like, well, you've got something greater on your life than you do? There's a greater call in your life than there is on your life. No, there, he's not a respecter of persons. So how do you get from the many category to the few category? You raise your hand. This is, this is, our, this is my passion for our church. Is, is that, I, like, listen, you have a call to change the world. Does that mean you're going to sell a company for $10 billion? Does that mean you're going to win an Olympic gold medal? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you have influence on your life. You're called to change the world. And when I say that, that, that not everybody is leaders, but everybody is called to leaders, it's because not everybody raises their hand. The reason why many are called but few are chosen, because there's only a few that raise their hand. My passion is to have this church be part of that few category. They raise their hand and say, no. And, and so, you know, we come in a room like this, and Jesus says, I'm looking for leaders. And there's a few that raise their hand and say, Jesus says, all right, well, then I choose you. That's how you get chosen in the kingdom, is you raise your hand. It's your response. You are called. I want to end with this. I'm going to give you four quick things. Leaders, the reason why I, I want to see leaders raised up is leaders have a different mindset. There is something called a leadership mindset. Leaders live differently because they think differently. They have a different mindset. Let me go through four quick things. One is this. Leaders understand they have influence and they have been given influence for a reason to change the world. Okay, remember this. God's strategy is you. You are the solution. There is not another plan. God's not up there going like, hey, my first plan is people. And if that doesn't work out, I'm going to just send a bunch of angels who are going to appear like you're his plan. So when God looks at a nation and says there's barrenness, there's infertility, there's death instead of life, his plan is believers, salt, thrown into the very sources of water that are meant to nourish that land, that are meant to bring life to that land, but that are, are cursed to put believers in there. That's his plan. And so leaders begin to understand this. The leadership mindset is based around this thing. I have influence. I have influence. It may, be, uh, it may be influence on five people. It may be influence on two people, but I have influence. I am influencing people. And because I have influence, I have to take responsibility for that influence because I've been given that influence for a reason. Whatever level of influence I have, I have been given for a reason. I was not given a talent to go bury it. This was the big thing. God did not give me a talent. He did not give me a measure of influence so I could take it and go bury it and hide it. He gave me a talent of influence so that I could use it to make a difference and change the world. 
This is how leaders think. They just understand. I've been given influence, and, and I understand this, that I've been given influence, and I am not along for the ride. This is the big one. This is the big lie that gets into believers, is that you really can't make a difference. I turn on the news, I'm overwhelmed. I read the newspaper, I'm overwhelmed. I get on social media, I'm overwhelmed. And the lie that begins to get in is, is I can't really make a difference. So why try? So I take my influence and bury it. But leaders, their mindset is based around this. I have influence, and it's been giving me to change the world because God's put me on the, like I am the head, not the tail. This, this, is, this is a leadership mindset. I am the head, not the tail, which means this. I'm in front, not behind. I'm leading, not following. And I am not along for the ride in society. The illustration we've used over the years is that when, when my kids were little, we'd go out on bike rides. And even when they could ride bikes and they were little, if we went on a long bike ride, it was just hard for them to keep up. So we had the adult bike, but we had a bike, a little bike that attached to the big bike. And if you've seen them, it's a full-on little bike. It has a back wheel, a frame, pedals, you know, chain, handlebars. But instead of a front wheel, it's got a, a, a bar that goes out and attaches to the post of the big bike. So my daughter, when she was little, she'd get on that little back bike and she'd pedal for a little bit. But most of the time, her feet were just up and she was just like along for the ride. She was just hanging out. And we'd, and, and, and we'd start going up a hill and I'd look back and like, any way you could like make an effort, like just look like you're attempting to help me. And so she'd try for a second and then she'd be done. And in essence, she was along for the ride. Because on the back bike, she has no ability to set the course, the direction. This like she's just along for the ride back there. She's got a handle. She's got a handlebars, but they're not to turn. They're just to hang on. And my my mission in life is to get believers to stop thinking that they are on the back bike. You're not on the back bike. You're the head, not the tail. You're on the front bike. Where this nation goes, where this city goes, where your family goes, where your workplace goes, where your neighborhood goes is dependent on your life because you have influence, you've been given influence, and it wasn't just to get and hang on. Uh, three quick things. Uh, um, one, leaders understand they have influence. Two, leaders understand that burden, that a burden is part of leadership. What I mean by burden is I'm talking about a sense of ownership. As leaders, we just live with a, a, a burden for things because we live with a sense of ownership and responsibility. And you know what we first live with a sense of responsibility for? Our own lives. Our own lives. You know whose responsibility your life is? Yours. <laughs> I had a friend in high school. He ran out of gas all the time. Ran out of gas all the time. He finally got to a place where he started just keeping a five-gallon uh, five can of gasoline in his trunk. He'd run out of gas, he'd fill it up, and then run out of gas. <laughs> I loved him. But guess whose responsibility filling up his car was? His. Like leaders live with a burden. They understand that a burden is just part of leadership because it's ownership. And I first live with the responsibility for my life, but I also live with the responsibility for what's going on around me.
this is a big one. Listen, leaders do not ignore the world around them or think it's someone else's responsibility. Leaders understand I'm part of the solution. Two phrases you won't ever hear coming out of a leader's mouth. That's not my problem. Someone should do something about that. This goes all the way down to even on this property, walking by trash. I'm not, this, I'm, not, I'm not here to get on anybody at all. But, but if this is our church, it's mobile, but it's our church. In my own house, wherever it is, I have a sense of responsibility. I have a sense of ownership for it. Therefore, when I walk by a piece of trash, I'm not thinking in my head, that's not my problem. That's somebody else's responsibility. Don't, leaders don't think like that. Leaders don't turn the news on and go, in our city, well, I wonder who's going to do something about that. Not my problem. Not in my neighborhood. Not in my family. Somebody somewhere, I'm sure, is going to do something about that. There's a shift that happens when leaders understand a burden is just part of it. We have a burden for the things that God has given us to take responsibility for. First, starting with my life. Let me give you the last two. Leaders understand that a passion to grow is what qualifies you for leadership. If I just say this, it's interesting. Maybe let me talk to younger people for a minute. I don't know if they come to the nine o'clock, but uh, it's interesting that, that leaders just understand I have to have a passion to grow. I cannot accomplish what God's called me to accomplish if I'm not hungry to grow. If I think I'm gonna stay where I'm at and accomplish what God's called me, it's not gonna happen. Therefore, I have to have a passion to grow. I've got a passion to get, I gotta have a passion. Like leaders have an insatiable hunger to grow, hopefully to get healthy. So I remember the Lord dealing with me early on in my early 20s. He said, it could even been in my late teens. He said, Banning, I'm gonna require things out of you that I don't require out of other people. Hey, I can get upset about that when it seems like everybody else is able to go do whatever and God just continually is dealing with me. That I'm the one that constantly has to humble myself. I'm the one that constantly has to apologize. I'm the one that can't just go have fun as a young adult. I can get upset about that or I can just realize this, I'm a leader. There's things that God requires out of my life. There's other things we don't have to get into, but, but my challenge to you is this, is this church has a mandate to raise up leaders. <laughs> That's your life. That's what I'm going after. You, you, you may be at home right now with three kids and just wondering like, I don't know how, what, but listen, you're at home with three kids called to lead. Some people have influence over thousands. Some people have influence over three. You're a leader. It's just whether or not you're going to take responsibility for it. It's whether or not you're going to raise your hand. It's whether or not you're going to shift responsibility, the mindset that says, no, I, I carry a burden for the things that God has given me ownership over. My city, my neighborhood, my workplace, my family. And we're willing to put in the work and sacrifice. That's the other one. Leadership doesn't mind sacrifice. You know, as a parent with kids, if you come from maybe a, a broken background. My parents are first generational healthy people. But so some of you are in that same category. Like when you look at your family, it's just 
broken and busted and dysfunctional, you're willing to sacrifice and put in the work necessary to break that chain of dysfunction because you have a sense of ownership and burden and responsibility for your children. It's just how we, that's how you live. So, so my question to you is this, is one, have you raised your hand? Two, do you recognize that wherever you are, God has put you there as salt? You are not along for the ride. I don't care if you sit in a cubicle every day and answer phones. I don't care if you deliver pizzas or I don't, you don't have to be a judge or, or you know, a principal or own a huge company. God has put you where you are as salt to bring healing to the land. That's what he's put you there for. But you have to have a leadership mindset because God's not just sending believers. He's sending believers who think like leaders. And what I need you to know is this. I just thought it's a good time to bring up even the school leadership we're launching. It's not just like a cute little idea. It's part of the mandate of this house. It's part of your mandate. We're going to be a people that pursue taking responsibility for the call of God on our life and impacting the city. And then we're going to invite people to come into this community and this culture, be trained and be equipped and sent as leaders. Are you with me on that? Thanks for listening to the message of the week. Hungry for more? Search Jesus Culture on your podcast platforms to check out more from our Jesus Culture Podcast Network.